And thanks to Cry Malt, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, publisher of Australian Brews News. My name is, and here's Pete Mitchum. He's getting used to it. <laughs> I'm still, well, you know, after Well, so after long, 40, 49 or 48 or so episodes of Radio Brews News where you got to say exactly the same thing, you've all of a sudden had to change. And this is a bit of a landmark, do you realise? This is number 50. This is the half-tonner. We're semi-centenarians in terms of... Um, not certainly not in terms of regularity yet. We've got a little bit to prove on, on that score, but um, well on the way. And they said they said we wouldn't get past forty eight. They <laughs> laughing on the other side of their face now, aren't they? Mind you, I think the first podcast we did was in twenty eleven. I, I, I did think about making a bit of a song and dance out of fifty, but it's probably closer to a hundred because there's got to be at least thirteen, fourteen episodes that we've managed to record three, four times and then not actually post. That's the other thing, yeah. So, you know, it, 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 I, I, and I'm always a little bit critical when you see breweries launching their, you know, 10,000th carton or 1 millionth carton and you sort of think, really? You know, do you really know? You know, it's just a bit of a, so it's just another day at the office as far as I'm concerned, Pete. Onwards and upwards, let's go. Pete, mate, what's been happening in your world this week? Yeah, not a lot. I have um, uh, a, a nice night out the other night, caught up with um, with some friends down here for the um, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Good friend of the program and uh, beer diva, Kiralee Walthorn, and her husband, Josh. And uh, we went out and, uh, look, a big plug for Melbourne because it's it's just one of the, I mean, I, you know, born and bred here and always love it. But the, what I really love is that, uh, you know, having lived here for 50 years, there's always a surprise. So we went to a, um, a very quirky and interesting um, comedy festival show put on by Hannah Gadsby down at the National Gallery of Victoria, where she just basically uh, showed us a painting and then made fun of it for an hour. And it was it was just one of those really funny, quirky, interesting kind of things. And then we afterwards, you know, walk up a laneway, around the corner, past some, um, uh, you know, industrial rubbish bins, an unmarked door, no sign, no not even a number on it. And behind there is a little place called Eau de Vie, which is this just a quirky little, um, quirky without being pretentious. It's, it's, it's got a lot of cool without sort of trying to be particularly cool, focusing mainly on whiskies, but then they also do sensational cocktails um, and a small but very well curated beer list. That was our pre-dinner drinks and um, then off to the Portland Hotel, uh, the James Squire Brew House down in uh, the city, which was lovely. Mate, well curated. That's their two words that I would love to hear much more of. Eight beers. Eight beers they had on their list. That was it. They had a, uh, a Bel- an imported Belgian Pilsner, which I tried, which was lovely. They had Feral Hop Hog, Red Hill Scotch Ale, a porter from a little Californian brewery that I didn't wasn't familiar with, which was a cracking, a crackingly good porter, a, a Spanish gold nail that I also hadn't heard of, and one or two others. But just so there was, you, you could find a style of beer that you wanted without sort of having a 10 page thing. It, it's funny you mention that because I'm just doing a restaurant review for a, a venue and uh, just sort of, and I've, it's something I've noticed a lot as more and more venues start to branch out and start to find their feet with craft beer. And so reading down the, um, they've got draft beer, Asahi, uh, Cricketers Arms, and Summers, Summersby's Apple Cider. Obviously, a, a tie in with um, Asahi went looking at that list, but then their bottle list is. Cascade Premium Light, Summersby Pear Cider, Rogers Peroni Corona, Founders All Day IPA, Founders Porter, Rogue Dead Guy Ale, and Rogue Hazelnut Brown Nectar. <laughs> there's a there's a couple of bookends. You got Corona at one end, and yeah, yeah, Rogue Dead Guy Ale and uh, Rogue Hazelnut. 
round nectar, which are, are fantastic beers, but you, sort of, you know, you, you start reading this going, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Have they heard the expression middle ground? Well, <laughs> yes, that's, that is exactly what I was trying to sum up. Yes, exactly. But uh, look, it, it, really exciting to see it out there. But yeah, um, yeah it, it'll be interesting. I, I wouldn't describe that as a well-curated list, but it is certainly a list that's, uh, you know, providing a little bit of interest and spark. Moving right on uh, to keep our uh, producer Lockie happy, uh, keep things at a cracking pace. Anything else been happening for you? Notice anything else? Well, actually, one interesting thing that came across my desk this week. I mean, you, you like bread, don't you? And you like beer. I, I like making some, earning some bread every now and then. But, exactly. Uh, well, um, just an interesting thing that sort of cropped up that I had passed on uh, by my brother-in-law Chris um, that he found in the Japanese Times, which is about a Frenchman who works for the Brussels Beer Project in Belgium who's making a Babylonian beer based on a Sumerian recipe from 4,000 years ago. It turns out that um, there's a bit of a problem in Belgium with the, you know, artisan bread and supermarkets trying to sort of cash in on that. But they're finding that they need to brew, uh, bake bread all day to, to satisfy their customers rather than, you know, just here it is for the day and you've got to come in and get it fresh and otherwise you'll miss out sort of thing. So they're trying to keep everyone happy. And by doing that, um, they're ending up with a lot of uh, weight, you know, leftover bread. Um, and they estimate that I think something like 12% of food waste in Brussels alone, um, the capital, is is um, is bread. So this brewer has got onto this idea of, of linking the old Babylonian style of, of taking you know, bread and basically you know chopping it up and making like a bread porridge, spontaneously fermenting it and turning that into beer. He's obviously using... A, um, proper yeast and uh, and fermentation uh, regimes and all that sort of thing. But he's he's basically got onto this project. The guy's called Sebastian Morvan. He's collecting, uh, along with a, a social community project, he gets these, uh, like a, a workshop kind of thing. These people go out and collect all the bread, dry it out for him, chop it up into flakes and then present it back to him. He then uses that to, to brew beer. Well, that's the the ancient Sumerian. I'm trying to think. Dogfish Head did one in their in their yeah their their like historical beer series. Um, mm. Definitely did a um, well. Even I guess Midas Touch was was similar to that in terms of the 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 honey and the saffron and all those sorts of bits and pieces. But this is more. This is coming out at a it's a seven percent amber ale. They reckon it's got a like a slightly uh, salty kind of taste from the from the bread. And he's using US and British hops rather than the originals would have been, you know, mixed with honey, you know, back 4,000 years ago. But so I might, I might just I'll throw a link uh, in the show notes because it's just a, it's interesting read. It'd be good to, to, to just follow along, see how uh, it's just local uh, consumption at the moment. Um, just local cafes and bars are, are picking up this beer because I guess you can only do as much as the, um, you know, the waste bread allows him to. But it's, it's bread that would otherwise have just been thrown away, you know, by the supermarket. So good on him. The, the latest uh, San Francisco-inspired trend in, you know, casual dining was toast restaurants or toast cafes. And I, I believe Melbourne may even have had its first toast cafe. I think we, had a, I think we got a cereal one. A cereal, okay. Yeah, no, there was a place in San Francisco that specialises in only toast. So no doubt there could be a, a, a rise in bread Excess or you know, leftover well, bread. Well, that's a good way. Yeah, good way of getting rid of your, your stale bread, isn't it? It's toasted. And did you uh, see that our prime minister over the weekend decided to suddenly man up? Uh, he's in more shit than a Werribee duck, isn't he? No matter what he does, 
He seems to well, get lamp. I, 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 look, I must. And, and the funny thing is that the, the biggest argument at the moment on um, in the Twitter sphere seems to be whether or not it was Peroni or VB. It's being reported as as one or t'other. I saw Ross Lewis um, from the Western Australian um, called it as Stone and Wood. Nah, I don't think it was. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't actually seen the footage. You know, the Oaks not... Hotel in uh, in Sydney, and it was a uni mates party. But this is the other thing too. I mean, I've, I've I've heard on radio this morning down here in Melbourne they 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 played a bit of a grab of it, and there and you know there's a couple of naysayers coming out saying, oh, it's, you know, it's a bad image. It's very blokey. You can hear half a dozen girls yelling out, skull, skull, skull. Either that or, it, I don't know, maybe it was a different part of Sydney, but they, it wasn't all blokey. But again, that's not the point. That's just... Yeah. I, well, no, no, but it not is... Not a good I, look. Yeah, but, but it, well, it's just not a good look. I mean, I, I, I was very critical when um, Bob Hawke, um, you know, sculled at the cricket recently, a couple of years ago, and then did it again recently. It was only about six months ago. Well, no, he did it about 12, 18 months ago and then did it again recently because it's become that thing that, you know, because he was becoming increasingly irrelevant, you know, rather than be the you know, dignified elder statesman of Australian politics, um, decided to be the uh, dignified adolescent. It, look, it, it, I've, I've had this discussion recently with um, some people in Brisbane um, where I was caned, at one, <laughs> as I usually do. Um, just, I, I made the suggestion that there are a number of, People in the you know in, who work in the craft beer scene, who seem to revel in the excess of alcohol as opposed to the enjoyment of the the, the flavour. Um, in, in my view, again, this is just always um, my view. It's not you know there, there's no ultimate um, you know truth in any of this. But I, I, I talk about you and I. You know we've been around for a long time, and uh, you know I, I guess you and I both started talking about craft beer and trying to encourage and enthuse people with craft beer. You know, at a time when Cooper Sparkling uh, in in a restaurant was a thing of beauty. You know, it was it was almost rare to find a beer like that. Yep. You know, in, in amongst the, the, all of the lagers. And in the early days of trying to talk to journalists or get people thinking about beer before craft beer was seemingly ubiquitous, um, you would start to talk to them, and you would see this glaze over. And you know, it, it always came out that they just saw beer as being something for drinking in great volume while watching the cricket or the football. Um, you know, with half a watermelon on your head. Yeah. Trying to get people, trying to get people to drink beer. I realised back then that you you had to try and change people's perceptions of beer, and that was where you know we always talk about drink less, drink better, drink for flavour, not for effect. All of those celebrate the best aspects of of beer, and that was something that really coloured my point of view um, about it. And you know, I'd, there was a hat that started doing the rounds in Brisbane. You know, uh, that a, a beer rep made and uh was selling and or i believe was selling that you know was blazoned you know uh menace to sobriety um and i thought well you know is that really the look that we want um when we're trying to say well we're different from 4x and vb and bex and stella or and you know blokes wearing bintang shirts it's just that our puns are more upmarket. yeah no so i i, I take your point because if you if you hold yourselves up as I guess you know the bastion of something that's that's better than the average. Not that the average is bad, but just that you 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 know you you take the claim to being being better. I think we deserve. I think we owe it to ourselves and to our our punters. Yeah, send the right message. But these are the sort of craft beer people that proudly talk about you know um, we don't drink you know fizzy bland piss or you know fizzy bland slop. And you sort of think, well, you you don't get to have it both ways. You don't. Get to behave, you know, like a, a, you know, you've just come back from your your bin tank fueled holiday in Bali, and 
you know, hold yourself out just because you spend three times as much per, you know, litre of um, grog over somebody, if you're still approaching it the same way, then what is the difference? You, you, you're really hardly more discerning if you're not celebrating it for its flavour. You're just sort of proudly proclaiming its effect. It, it's really, really hard to talk about uh, drinking and the consumption of alcohol without coming across as a wowser or some neo-prohibitionist, yeah. which are all no, the no. things that are labelled at you. But we also, I think, in our position, um, and, and, and uh, you know, it's one of those things of the, the 21st century, I guess, that the, the person who has the microphone has the power kind of thing, um, that I think we owe it to to our listeners to make sure that we're sort of assisting them to, to promote beer in a... We, we need to be aware of giving those mixed messages of saying we've got a quality product that sip and savour and all those sorts yep. of things get maggoted on it as well the thing that i always get thrown back in me back at me when i sort of raise these things is i you know beer doesn't you know it's beer you don't want to take it too seriously and you 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 spot on and i i think you and i sort of both you know sort of celebrate the casualness of beer but i think that you know you you you'd, you don't have to celebrate drunkenness in an effort to make beer not seem stuffy um, and you know, self-serious, um, particularly when some of the people that are carrying on in this way are the ones that sort of throw off about you know every, everyone else's choice of fizzy yellow lagers, um, which creates a, a seriousness about beer that doesn't belong there. But anyway, yeah. So anyway, I'm, long story short, I, I thought that you know it, it's pretty undignified for the nation's leader to carry on like a uni student um, for one thing, um, but also it, it's probably not the message that we want for beer. You know, unless you're going to start chugging you know crafts of shardy um which no one's ever going to do but anyway that, that that that's that little rant done and dusted prof done let's move on um today uh, on on the show uh, just the one interview um it's going to be an interesting one uh, one that might inspire some cards and letters we've, we're speaking to derek o'donnell who is the uh ceo of yenda which or, or of the australian beer company um which is the uh, coca-cola amatil cca partnership with um, Casella uh, uh, wineries um, to, for the Australian beer company. They brought out a, a range of products, um, and uh, the, the most recent one is their craft beer range um, called Yenda, a suite of five beers um, that we'll we'll talk about. It, it, it's been interesting to watch the social media chatter. You almost get the sense that some people are almost apologetic for liking them, uh, or apologetic for not hating them is probably the the, the better word. Um, but, you know, it, it's not the most avant-garde offering. Um, but I've tried them, and they're certainly there or thereabouts. They're exactly what they promise. They're, you know, dare I say, approachable versions of, of, of each of the styles that they represent. Um, but I don't think that the Australian Beer Company is ever going to be targeting the sharp end of the, the, the beer market. And so we, we spend a little bit of time talking about the beers, but we spend a lot, lot of time talking about the business. Prof, uh, I, I know that you've had a very quick try of the beers um, at, at a beer festival recently. Yeah, I was lucky enough to try them just before they were uh, out for public release, I think. Um, and, and look, just had a time for a, a couple of samples. And look, very well-made beers, um, like in terms of, Quality, as you'd expect from a multi-million dollar setup that they've got up there at, at Casella, at Yenda. And, uh, you know, 10 overs, none for 40. They're good, you know, line and length sort of beers um, that I guess they must believe um, has a fit in the market somewhere. Well, 
I, I put a lot of these things to, to Derek, so we might even uh, go straight to the interview and uh, have a chat about some of the things that raises at the end. So my, my first question to Derek, as uh, seems to be the way of these things, is uh, finding out a little bit more about who is Derek O'Donnell. I'd like to think that Derek O'Donnell is a uh, beyond the obvious Irish accent, which hopefully gives me a, a direct connection to the love of beer and cider. Um, I'm actually just somebody who's really passionate about trying to find a way to grow what is the most exciting um, category in my mind in beverage, and that's clearly in uh, craft beer and cider. And I think there's just such a huge uh, opportunity of, in growth sitting in the Australian market. So I'd like to describe myself as somebody who's actually really passionate about beer, but really passionate about trying to find a way to uh, grow the category, have a bit of fun uh, with what we're doing, trying to educate people that craft beer is actually something to be enjoyed and embraced and not to be worried about or feared, uh, that it actually uh, it introduces a whole range of new flavors that people can enjoy. And I'm coming to that from a background uh, which has actually been um, quite diverse. So I've actually worked in a whole range of different companies uh, in different roles and different functions. And uh, I just like learning. I like, uh, I'm curious about life and I'm curious about I suppose how I bring that to uh, to effect in in how um, uh, I suppose uh, how I try to lead something like the uh, like the Australian beer company, and how I've ended up uh, leading the Australian beer company is that when the giant venture was created, which is now about 16 months or so ago, Australian beer company is 50% owned by Coca-Cola Amato or CCA as people would refer to it in the Australian market. And it's 50% owned by Casella Family Brands, which would actually be known more outside of Australia than in because of the, uh, the great Yellowtail brand. And I'm just a lucky person that gets a chance to start that from a very small base of a very small, uh, the very first day when I took on the role, we actually had a very few, a very small number of employees and uh, we're actually having some fun 16 months later. And of course, the, the, the partnership goes back to, I think it was 2013, December 2013, when CCA that had previously been in partnership with uh, Blue Tongue uh, under Pacific Beverages, um, and you, there, there was the dissolute, or sorry, um, SAB Miller for Pacific Beverages, um, when Pacific bought uh, CUB uh, as part of the agreement, you were out of the market, or CCA was out of the uh, beer market for uh, about two years from memory. Yeah, that's right. So um, that SAB partnership is the one you're referring to, uh, or SAB Miller partnership is the one you're referring to, which uh, was known as Pacific Beverages, and you've uh, summed it up correctly, that um, CCA was in out of the market for two years. And um, But I think if from a CCA angle, uh, there was a clear perspective that there was a growth opportunity sitting in the, uh, the beer inside the market. Um, and uh, obviously there was a desire from a CCA perspective to get back into Beer Insider. And if you look at it from a John Casella perspective, um, he had uh, just finished the investment in a, uh, a really very capable, beautiful brewery, um, but uh, wouldn't have a very strong sales and distribution workforce looking at the domestic market. So as Giant Ventures goes, actually uh, two equity partners probably quite aligned uh, in trying to combine infrastructure in brewery terms with infrastructure in sales and distribution terms and that was the genesis of Australian Beer Company and, and the simplicity of the name in fact is 
is heavily driven by the desire to um, actually celebrate Australian produce, ingredients and flavour. So there's a, a deliberate simplicity to the name. And, uh, I'm surprised that no one had taken the, that, that, that name beforehand, to be honest. It's interesting, isn't it? I think um, I, I, I agree with you, actually, Matt. I, I found that interesting myself. And, you know, in the way I'm trying to lead the brewery, um, we're trying to really play to, uh, like, we, we can't pretend to be anything but being a, a humble small brewery because we're actually only 16 months old and we're really trying to find our feet. But we're trying to be really kind of upfront about what we're trying to be, and, and that starts with the name. So the name is about Australian Beer Company. It's uh, clearly celebrating being Australian and, and having uh, leveraging the fantastic produce that Australia has in, in beer and cider. And, and then if you look at what we've tried to bring to life, uh, particularly, we'll say, with the recent launch of the Yenda Craft Beer Range, um, obviously we'd like to think that that level of trying to be authentic and simplistic in our views as, as regards what beer is and what cider is, is actually um, what's come true. You, you've, the, the partnership only goes back uh, the, the 15 months, but you started with the uh, Arvo range that Costello had launched um, a, a couple of years ago um, when they first started uh, getting into beer and building that beautiful uh, brewery. Is Arvo still available? I haven't seen anything come out that, it, that it's uh, been sort of, it's fallen out of the uh, schedule. Yeah, no, so uh, you're absolutely right, Matt. Um, Arvo was developed originally. Um, by John and uh, and the, the brewing team, which was quite small at the time, led by uh, uh, Andy Mitchell, who is still my head brewer. Um, and uh, that was actually uh, there was quite an innovative play in the development of Arvo. I think you may be aware there was a bit of a kind of a crowdsourced uh, uh, play around uh, developing that beer. Now the beer is, is fantastic, and and that's what led to it. For example, winning the uh, the best lager in show, for example, last year at the Royal Queensland Show. So it's still in market. Um, it's a it's a beautiful beer, and, and we brought that into uh, our portfolio. Uh, so the Australian Beer Company took that brand in um, on 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 the creation of Australian Beer Company, and it fits as as basically as one of our uh, four brands. And you, in addition to that, you launched with the uh, Brewers Draft range from memory. Uh, no, uh, Alehouse. Uh, Sorry, Alehouse, Alehouse Draft, and how, how's that been going? Is that still part of the, part of the range? Very much so, and, and Alehouse, um, so there's a full-strength mass uh, lager, and there's also a mid-strength lager, and that was designed very much uh, geared towards on-premise, so we're, we're trying to figure out how we can help kind of uh, recreate the foot traffic through um, on-premise as well and protect the on-premise market uh, in a very competitive uh, landscape, and and so Alehouse uh, is actually available only on draft. And um, to be honest, we've had pretty, uh, pretty uh, fantastic and exciting uh, results with it. It's a, it's a beautiful uh, drinking lager. I'm not too sure if you've had a chance to drink it. It's clearly designed to be true to uh, an Australian-style lager, quite sessionable in its approach. And um, uh, for venues that have taken it on, we're actually having uh, some really strong VPO. Uh, sorry, um uh, velocity uh, per outlet as such, uh, kegs uh, being consumed as such per week. And um, yeah, so we're, we've got some really strong feedback and, and engagement with that brand in market at this moment. I haven't had the chance to, to try it as yet. Um, I'm not sure, and it's only been because I haven't seen it. Um, is, is it up in Queensland where I'm based? If, if it's indeed, uh, I, at the moment I couldn't tell you exactly which venue, Matt, but I'm very, uh, very happy to just uh, find a number of venues. I suppose there's one thing, Matt, and, and again, I wouldn't pretend to be anything beyond we're still in, in a building phase around 
Australian beer company. We're very lucky that the equity partnership that 50% of TCA owns within uh, Australian Beer Company means we get access to the sales and distribution capability of CCA. And you know, with your knowledge of, of craft beer, um, that actually one of the hardest bits is actually the sales and distribution element of trying to bring your, your beer and sell it to market. Um, but in this situation, there's no doubt 16 months in, we've made good progress, but obviously we're still building and the level of distributions of all of our brands are actually still kind of work in progress. And every week we try to win a tap and win a spot in the fridge and and uh, we try to add to that as, as best as we can each week. It, it's interesting you mentioned that. I was about to move on to, to Yenda, but you did raise an interesting topic that distribution is an important part um, of the, the craft beer business or, or of the beer business generally. And in, in your... Uh, I think 15-year career with uh, CCA, you've worked your way up through the supply and logistics side of the business. Was that a a, a big part of uh, the, the the attraction of employing you uh, to, to head the new uh, Australian beer company? Do you think? Um, I think it. I think it would have played a factor because uh, there's no doubt, and and I know it from. I've really enjoyed my discussions with almost all the craft brewers around Australia in the last uh, 18 months or so that uh, sales and distribution is actually very complex. Um, getting your product to market is really hard. And um, I think a lot of the craft beer market is understanding that it's great to have great beer, but you have to try and find a way in a very competitive market to get that into shelf or get it onto uh, onto taps, depending on which, which way you're, you're, which part of the market you're trying to achieve or aim for. So, yeah, I'd like to think that it's probably played a part where it's meant that I understood how the sales and distribution structure of CCA operates. And so, therefore, I understood how to tap into it and how to kind of fight for position. Obviously, uh, we have no God-given right that anything we produce gets sold and distributed. That's not the way it works. We have to clearly produce great beer and we have to produce fantastic cider and, and we have to gain that level of credibility for where what I see is a very strong domestic portfolio where that should sit in the wider beverage portfolio that CCA would carry. So that takes a level of engaging and influencing. And uh, But I suppose, yes, there's no doubt my history would have played a part in making that easier for me, maybe versus somebody who wouldn't have understood the, um, yeah, just the way Coca-Cola Amazon is set up in that form. Is there some attraction for, uh, and I guess any, um, Retailer, but uh, perhaps even the the bigger chains that they're dealing, they they can come to CCA as a one-stop shop. Um, you've obviously got the the, the famous soft drink range uh, spearheaded by Coke, but then you've also got a coffee range, you've got water ranges, you've got uh, a, a variety of spirits, including the the big names, uh, Jim Beam, Maker's Mark. Um, you've got Canadian Club, which has even been marketed as a alternative to beer. Um, is dealing with uh, that larger company and with the ability to, I guess, have one creditor and one supplier an attraction that will help get the the, the beer range on-premise as well? Yeah, Matt, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think that's the exciting piece for that. I'd say that, that access to being able to leverage the sales and distribution of CCA absolutely helps me in, in, in what you've just spoken through. So I think there's a few things to call out. You still have to have great brands and you still have to have great tasting products. And there's no, as you would understand, uh, appropriately, no retailer is just going to uh, give you a sense of entitlement that you can have your, your brand or your product 
in their stores or in their on-premise unless it's actually uh, something that will add value to their business and therefore that consumers can enjoy and engage with. So we still have to get that right without question. Um, but if, but in the context of how, if you're looking through from a customer's perspective, I think it's fair to say that for many customers, it, it, it most likely will help them that they have somebody who can turn up maybe with one invoice to cover multiple aspects of, of the products that they would then sell to their 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 customers, their consumers, and the um, and I think you'd well understand that, you know, there's obviously major big retailers that have lots of resources, but there's also a lot of smaller retailers, uh, both on-premise and off-premise, that it kind of helps them to have uh, an ease of relationship with a supplier that can just turn up and and hopefully uh, deliver a lot of um, uh, their product for sale in one go on one truck in one invoice and and has one salesperson uh, potentially come in on the back of that. So I think it's a fair point, Matt. I think uh, it can add value to how um, how the customers can see what TCA can bring with that multi-beverage portfolio. I, I guess one of the, the, the hot topics or one of the, the, the regular topics that's discussed in the, the craft beer world is the notion of contracts. And small brewers uh, get very upset when they see big players come in um, using their size to, um, in, in their view, uh, restrict access to tap points is that something that you know is that, do you rely um in your business on having a, a great range or do you also you know work in in partnership with uh, certain uh, venues to, uh, to to have exclusive supply arrangements yeah it's a, it's an interesting one because as you know uh, the ACCC is investigating uh, that area at this moment as well so um i think the uh, the piece that I suppose I've developed as a view, um, and obviously I've been living and breathing this uh, very, very intimately for the last 18 months, is we can't avoid the reality that clearly there are uh, contracted taps sitting in Australia. That clearly has been uh, evidenced by um, the inquiry uh, existing. But I think that the challenge is more that can you bring a, bring, bring a great brand to market? And I think what's really interesting for the Australian market is that um, consumers in on and off premise now one choice. So we'll talk obviously in this situation with on premise that consumers now want to walk into a venue. They're looking for something a bit different. They're looking for a brand that can can bring a bit of a story and a bit of experience. And that's where craft beer and clearly insider play to. And so in the context of how I feel we try to work our way through that, we're, we're trying to really just sell in the fact that we think we can add value to a a um, an on premise customer in the in the business we hopefully can attract to them by the brands we bring. So I think it's still all about, you know, whether we like it or not, really work hard to get a, a great brand, a great product, really find a way to encourage the retailer to understand that you think you can add value to their business. And, and to be honest, the consumers will decide anyway. So if your brand isn't as, as good as you might hope, or if your product isn't as good as you might hope, well, then clearly the consumer will make a decision anyway. But so it's a, um, it's a, uh, a challenge for us all, I think, not to get too caught up with maybe some of the uh, um, some of the, I suppose, the challenges in that on-premise availability of taps, but to really worry about when well, are we walking through the door with something that will add value to that customer. And if we are, we're probably going to find our way through to um, hopefully being able to uh, generate some good business with that customer and ultimately for their their customers. 
I guess there is a flip side to that as well, uh, even for businesses of your size, is that you are um, doing business with some you know, two well, two very big retailers in, in, the, in the country, and uh, both of which have come out with a very similar uh, range of craft beers, looking at uh, su- supplying a, a particular market for beer. Um, have, how have you found your range uh, going you know, uh, up against the the Woolworths-owned uh, retailer and the, the Coles-owned retailer, have they been uh, welcoming to you? Have, have you been ranged by their uh, by their stores? Well, it's a, it's a good question, Matt, and it's probably kind of reaffirming what I was just touching on, that first of all, you have to turn up with a, a really strong brand and a really strong product. And so, again, you know, clearly, uh, say for the last uh, 15 months, actually, uh, my brands weren't in the... Um, and the major retailers and that's actually down to the fact maybe we didn't find an opportunity to really engage them as to where that brand and that product could be uh, but you can guess that we're clearly working with them to uh, hopefully uh, sell the merit of what we uh, think we can bring from an Australian beer company perspective and we'd be really hopeful particularly with the end um, uh, craft beer range uh, you know I'm confident that we've got and customer feedback already would tell us that you know we've got a um, a product range that's really attractive. We've got a brand that clearly is very, uh, it's clearly, clearly very, very new and has to be built. And with our Pressman cider, we've got, uh, I think, a, a really strong cider again with a with a, a brand that can build towards the future. So I suppose we we just are no different than anybody else there. Where you know the major retailers throw the right challenge to us is can we actually add value to their business? Can we find a way to explain to them why our products should be arranged with them and, and that's the process that we work through and then we find a way to um, hopefully as, as 2015 goes forward we're clearly hopeful that we can find a way to be um, uh, stocked in the major retailers and, and make our products available to uh, in a broader fashion to the consumers. Well, that brings us to, to the Yenda range now. Um, you've just launched five beers um, under the, the, the Yenda um, brand which is uh, taken from the, the location of the brewery. Maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about the the approach you took when deciding when settling on the styles that you're going to uh, to, to bring out. Yeah, I'd love to talk about it actually because um, it's 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 uh, at least through my eyes it's been a very exciting journey because it started with me fishing in. Uh, we've got a very flash office down in the brewery, um, Matt. We've got a little porter cabin, and in that porter cabin there's a small <laughs> little roof, and and the uh, myself and uh, I've got three brewers. Uh, the names Andy is the head brewer, and then I've got uh, two other brewers, one called Rob and one called Greg. And uh, the four of us sat down actually uh, around May of last year. And uh, we I remember talking to them and saying, well, you know, this is our chance now to develop a, uh, a craft beer range that we think uh, would be attractive CCA first because obviously we have to uh, we have to gain credibility with CCA to actually stock our brand and then uh, ultimately ultimately uh, clearly with the market and uh, so we sat down and we were talking about craft beer and and one thing that I'm heavily motivated by is that craft beer as a category is still quite immature in my view at least Matt in Australia uh, and I think there are other, other markets around the globe that at this stage would, would would indicate that they're probably more mature than what Australia is and. And one aspect for me is maybe that um, I was I was doing a lot of research myself, just talking to consumers and asking why why don't you drink craft beer? What is it you know that that holds you back from drinking this? And and uh, I was struck by the amount of times people would say, well, actually, um, 
or you have to be you have to really know your beer to be able to drink craft beer, for example, in in order that people were worried about the level of knowledge they had, or some were saying, well. God, you know, I'm a bit frightened by the flavor. And they might reference, for example, they might pick an IPA and say, oh, when I drink an IPA, you know, God, I get a big uh, hot pace and I can only drink one and I can't drink more than that. And and then others would talk about saying, well, it's just so expensive. You know, uh, I can't go in and, and spend that amount of money when I can save, you know, maybe in a carton situation, anything between 10 to $20 and, and purchase maybe a, a different brand. And even if the brand isn't craft, it's just something that might be more affordable. So the chat I had with the guys was, how can we create a bit of a stepping stone for people to actually enjoy more than we call it the standard lager experience of, of beer and understand that beer um, is an exciting uh, product that actually has got an almost ex- endless level of styles that can be enjoyed but as a way to try and step people through it i was asking how could could we create a range which would take people ultimately from let's say uh let's say a standard lager and come across ultimately to an ipa and that led into a discussion on the beer styles and then we had a discussion about saying well for this to work we want clearly great beer we were thinking that we might we had descriptors saying that we would like malt driven beer rather than hop driven because we thought that might help in, in encourage and um, people to be uh, more willing to enjoy the beer and enjoy uh, more than say one uh, schooner and one bottle of it in, in a responsible fashion um, but then we were also talking about we think that in craft beer in particular that people enjoy full-bodied beer so we spoke that we always want our beers to be full in body uh, had good mouthfeel in that form. And we also wanted clean finishes. Uh, I'd noticed a lot of people were saying, God, I drank a craft beer, but God, I've got this really big overhang. So that was the genesis of the discussion. And what then, the, the only other part, I suppose, that we led into was, I couldn't believe that people kept describing craft beer as ale. And nobody seemed to perceive lager as also being potentially a craft beer uh, style. And so that led to what we... If we were to go through the five styles, Matt, we've got Yin the Hell, which we're trying to use, uh, as you know, that's a hellish lager. And what we're looking to say is that for those who are lager drinkers traditionally, maybe you're stepping stone into craft and understanding that you can have nice flavor in craft and still uh, feel that you're not being um, uh, challenged for fashion, that you can't enjoy it and drink it. And we're saying, well, Yin the Hell might be that stepping stone across. And then... If you've gained that level of comfort, then the Yenda Golden Ale would be clearly um, a kind of a starting point in the context of introducing you to ales. And then we went to the Yenda Pale Ale, and then we have Yenda Red, and uh, then we finish with a Yenda IPA. And I know with your knowledge of beer, Matt, I think you'd understand that that kind of takes people on a bit of a flavor journey and a bit of a, a spectrum that allows them to understand that actually craft beer isn't at all to be feared. It's actually there to be enjoyed and actually... Uh, the various styles uh, can be there for the right occasion, for the right food, and so on and so on. Devin, I, um, that was a um, really interesting insight in, into the whole range. So it was very comprehensive. Um, and uh, there's a couple of questions I'd like to go back to. But um, one just from there, you talked about uh, being a, a very broad coverage of the range. And I'd, one of the uh, things I'd anticipated um, I might see on social media is... The, the, the labels, you've put a lot of effort into um, looking at uh, malt intensity, hop intensity, giving a description of styles to let people know very much what to uh, to, to expect. And I, I guess when you look at the IPA, which uh, at 5.4%, uh, 
Um, I don't think it had the uh, IBUs on it, which is probably a bit of a beer insider term, but the hop intensity described on the label, uh, you had the, the, the full five hops um, coloured in. I, I guess there would be some in the craft beer community that would be tasting the beer and saying, oh, there are much hoppier styles. Where does it leave you to go? I guess um, your labelling is looking very much at that introduction and uh, you know main, perhaps the mainstream drinker making the transition into craft beer rather than the, the hardcore uh, beer geek. Would that be a correct characterization? To a large extent, I think it is. I, I think I've had, um, I just love this area actually on beer and cider, and particularly craft beer and cider. And I suppose I'm trying to move away from, or move people away from seeing being very black and white. That there's either mainstream beer and there's uh, craft beer. To be honest, I actually probably really just see that there's beer. And I, I think you use the term there that there's a um, we call it the uh, the flavor styles that fit in the spectrum, which would appeal to. I think you describe them as the hardcore geeks or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and actually, I think that's great. And actually, I love drinking those beers too. But I love drinking those beers on a certain occasion. And what I'm trying to uh, in- encourage and achieve with our Yinda range is actually that is to really to celebrate that beer is about flavor spectrum and actually I think if there was one other category that really typifies this journey for me in the last maybe 20-30 years would be actually uh, would be wine. I think years ago people used to say red red and white wine and then they actually were brought in a journey that led to a level of knowledge around region and grape and spectrum in grapes and flavor that actually has wine drinkers been very educated and I'm not too sure that in beer, we've actually helped people in that form. And so the education that we've called out on the packaging, I won't hide from it, Matt. That's been very deliberate. So you would, as you say, on the body um, uh, the body label, you can see the front label, you can see malt and hop intensity. And it makes most sense when you put the five bottles beside each other. You can see that sequence from the end of hell, golden, in the pale, in the red, through the end IPA. You can see that malt and hop intensity spectrum grow in that range. In the neck label, absolutely, we're trying to encourage people to enjoy what uh, there's a symbol on there to encourage people to look at the beer, then to actually smell the beer and to taste the beer. And we're not trying to do it in an elitist way. We're actually trying to take the fear out of craft and actually try to educate and create a bit of story and actually even create a bit of debate, to be honest, because different people will take different outcomes when they drink beer. And then in the back label, yeah, absolutely, we're trying to connect flavor styles with potential food matching because actually I'm a believer that beer goes just as well with food as any other, uh, I suppose, more traditional view. And in this situation, maybe wine might be seen as a very traditional match. But actually, I think beer can be a fantastic match. So, yeah, we're absolutely trying to educate Matt. And my view is I'm not competing with the craft brewers of Australia at all. In fact, I'm trying to help grow them because... Uh, craft beer, I think, is just very small. I think it's putting pressure on a lot of people from a, an economies of scale perspective. And I don't see why craft beer can't reach, you know, somewhere in the, the 10 to 15% of total uh, beer in Australia. Um, I think it'd be, I don't see why it can't happen. And I think it would be good. And I think actually the consumer benefits and everybody benefits in that form, in that journey. I guess I might have phrased that question badly. I, I was uh, in, in applauding you for, for, for the efforts. I, was, uh, I guess I was trying to highlight the difficulty in um, you know, the, the, the IPA, which I've tried and very much enjoyed, 
Um, but I guess that so far as IPAs go, it would be at the um, you know, less bitter, less intense um, uh, um, part of the range. Um, and yeah. for somebody that's used to drinking maybe IBAs that you know, are in the American West Coast style who look at the label and see that you've given five hop um, uh, five hops to the, the Yender IPA, um, they might sort of say, well, you know, what happens when you get to a, to a really hoppy one? You know, wh where is there to go? Do you turn it up to 11? Um, it, it, to, yeah. to me, I, I read that as saying, well, um, those sorts of uh, guides aren't meant to be um, universal guides. It's, it's meant to be for people who are just dabbling in uh, some of these newer craft beer styles um, for the first time. Is that is that a correct characterization? Yeah, that's, that's great, Matt, and, and, and just your interest, actually, because uh, I, I know you like beer, and, and you've had a ch have you had a chance to taste an IPA? Yes, I have, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, With I, your knowledge of beer, just for fun, Matt, would you give a guess at the IBU, and then I'll tell you what it is, just for in, just for a bit of fun? I would have what, what guessed IBU that it was up around the 45 uh, IBUs. Yeah, and, and that's consistent with, with educated beer drinkers around the country that have tasted the IPA. They've normally said, oh, we think it's around that 40 to 45. It's actually 55. Oh, there you go. But, yeah, but I think what's interesting is that I, it's probably why I'm a bit biased towards Andy, uh, my head brewer. I think he's done a great job in getting the balance right so that you can actually have that bitterness level but actually still be able to enjoy it in a manner that, that uh, you know, is quite balanced in its form. And in, in the context of why we didn't put IBU on there, I wasn't convinced that everybody understood in the market IBU. I think if you know beer and if you're a brewer and if you're connected and very passionate about beer, I think you understand IBU as being uh, the bitterness units. But some, some consumers actually don't necessarily understand it. And I often found that I spent uh, hours, would you believe, Matt, in the last few years just standing in front of craft beer fridges watching consumers. So I might stand there for about an hour. I and do I that a lot myself. Uh, I'm, I'm ashamed to say, Derek. Yeah, well, Matt, we might do it together at some stage. It's quite an enjoyable <laughs> experience. But what I found, Matt, was I've struck by the amount of consumers who would walk in and look at a craft beer fridge. And actually, just in my terms, and I can't claim that I counted every single person, but I kind of left with this view that about 10% of people walk in and seem to really understand the beer styles and range and walk up and are very educated and pick a particular craft beer that they they're attracted to, right? And then I, I had a feeling that there was about 50 or 60% of people that really want to try it, but we're getting a bit confused with genuinely understanding the difference between an IPA and a golden ale and a Hellas Lager and so on and so on. And what we were trying to achieve was uh, with that packaging intent of putting out that malt and hop intensity, by no means are we trying to claim that that's, a, as you say, a universal standard, but we're just trying to help people make that decision point to say okay well if I see an IPA and I don't understand what an IPA is actually I can see that it's going to be higher in flavor than for example what I might experience with a pale ale and what I might experience with a golden ale and so on and so on so that's what we were trying to achieve with it. I personally think you've achieved that because the beers have come across as being very uh, solid um, you know, very enjoyable uh, versions of the style um, on all of the social media, which seems to be the, uh, the the barometer for these things these days, it's almost been a lot of people, uh, a lot of bloggers and a lot of uh, vocal commentators have almost felt the need to apologise for liking them, as if they, uh, they they approach them wanting to dislike them, coming from a, a, a well-resourced, you know, uh, um, larger 
business uh, behind the Australian Beer Company, um, but they, you know, despite themselves, have found them to be uh, very enjoyable beers. So you, you certainly seem to have hit the target. Yeah, I think the conscience I can give people, because I think you're right, I think we've, we've got some great feedback coming through, and then we've got some people, as you say, you've kind of phrased it there, feeling a bit uneasy going, uh, I think I've seen language like, are these Coke beers? Um, mm. And I think the, the piece, and I can understand, you know, if you don't know an organization, you don't understand an equity partnership, it's hard sometimes to look in from the outside and understand it. But I think the, for me, it's actually a very simple game, really. You know, and I go back to why we've got a simple name, the Australian Beer Company. So there's me and, four, and three brewers, and we sat in a room and we developed the beers, and, and, and we, we basically designed all of the beers inside it to come through Australian Beer Company. And because CCA has the 50% holding, it's just the positive flip side is it just gives us that sales and distribution ability. So some people may confuse the fact that CCA allows us to get our products to market with actually believing that they're, um, for example, fully designed or fully uh, owned, in fact, by CCA. And actually, these are Australian beer company brands, and we're just really excited and lucky that I've got an opportunity to tap into quite simply one of the largest sales and distribution workforces and networks and one of the most capable in the country. And and uh, I wouldn't hide from it, Matt, that that gives me a chance to probably grow Australian Beer Company in a manner that I wouldn't be able to do having to start uh, my own sales force and my own trucks from, from day one. Looking at the, um, the range, uh, the, the alcohols all seem to be... Um you know, I guess if 4.9 is the traditional full-strength lager um, style, most of the styles seem to be at the lower end of the market. So we've got the Golden Ale at 4.2. We've got the Mid Ale that is obviously mid-strength, but the uh, unfiltered Hellas-style lager is 4.2. The uh, Pale Ale is 4.5, and even the IPA is at the lower end of what would be the recognised style uh, boundaries of 5.4. Is, is is there a thinking behind that? Is that because you get a sense that that's what the market wants? Is that a, a an excise related issue because of the um, way that excise is calculated in in Australia, or is it? Do you think that that just means that people can enjoy you know two or three rather than being pulled up at one? Well, I think you've answered the question beautifully, actually, because <laughs> sorry, uh, I, 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 I meant I, to leave some space. No, it's okay, but yeah, I think, uh, and it's probably back, Matt, to the fact that. I think it's, we, I want to find a way where we can help grow the category. And to grow the category, we have to narrow the gap between, and I'll just go back to describing maybe as we call it the standard lager, through to what can be perceived as um, a craft beer, which often is seen as high in ABV um, and maybe beautiful in taste, but hard to drink more than one. You know, and, and clearly I'm not talking about the hardcore geeks here, and I'm talking about the average consumer because in the context of things, clearly uh, we're struggling to attract uh, a majority of consumers into craft beer. The the numbers and the evidence talks to that. So, yeah, so there's a big element of trying to find a way to say uh, craft beer isn't always around the alcohol content. Craft beer can be just about enjoying great flavors and really different flavors and understanding them and actually finding a way to have something across the whole spectrum. I actually think there's a, absolutely a place for high ABV and, and high hop intensity beers, and I say I enjoy them myself, myself. But I'm also a believer that it's more important that there's a good choice across that full spectrum. So, yeah, you've kind of touched on the answers yourself, but I would, 
I would echo those that the um, yeah we want to find a way to uh, just encourage people to try them and be able to enjoy more than one in a responsible manner and uh, just understand that there's great flavour. Looking across the range, and I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier when we were talking about retailers, but the the, the golden ale, the pale ale, um, a, a mid strength ale, and a lager, that seems to be uh, where the gravity um, of the uh, beer market of, of, of the broader. Um, beer market or craft beer market has fallen. It's also where um, Woolworths has chosen to go with their um, their range. Coles has developed a very similar um, portfolio across their steam ale range. Um, do you think that with uh, some of the bigger um, uh, breweries or businesses getting involved in the craft beer space, having very similar ranges, that um, that we're going to see much more price competitiveness um, across the style because it, I guess it's much harder to differentiate um, on, on quality when you've all got uh, good uh, breweries behind you. Uh, distribution is a little bit easier for bigger companies. Will we see it um, come down to a little bit more about price? It's hard to say. It's hard to say. It's, it's always something that can happen because that's, that, that can occur across any category in retail. As you know, that's, that's, that's ultimately how markets evolve and develop. Um, I think the, the factor is, when you look at the range, I think you'd well understand that the leading style in craft beer in Australia is pale ale, and I think that's evidence that clearly the consumers favour that style and are, are, are find that that's the style that they gravitate towards the most. So I think out of our range, yeah, I probably would expect that the yen the pale ale, the yen the golden ale, and the um, yen the hell that un- unfiltered Hellas lager are probably going to be the higher volume. Um, styles based on what consumers seem to be purchasing in the market today. And I probably would expect that the end IPA and the end of red would play uh, lower in volume. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're the, 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 the biggest styles in the market. And then as regards the price competitiveness, I think um, I, I think what we'll probably just find really is that it, it keeps coming back to do you have a brand that can carry your, your position? Do you have um, a range of brands if you're a retailer that can uh, provide an opportunity for the the total demographic demographic of, of consumers as regards what they might be pursuing but there's one piece that for craft beer to grow from four percent up to ten percent of total beer even as a, as a as a kind of a stepping stone um i think you're you're going to find that price competitiveness does come into play so that people can feel that you know in a in the hard-earned money that they're making a choice that they're comfortable with and that they're willing to probably put, um, make a decision to buy craft beer over other beer, um, maybe more so than they do today. And that, that will be influenced to a certain extent by the price because that's, of course, what, what happens in the market across any category for consumers. One of the, and some, sometimes I think I'd pay too much attention to some things, but one of the things I noticed as soon as I uh, broke out my bottle opener to, uh, to open the, the, the sample beers that you sent, um, I, I got the cap off and was embarrassed to find that it was a, a screw cap. Um, what was the thinking behind that? Because uh, it, it's one of those funny things. I think it, uh, craft brewers have traditionally gone with the um, just the, the, the crown seal, um, and I think that's got a lot to do with the expense of the um, screw cap systems um, for, for small brewers. But you guys have gone for, for a screw cap um, bottle. Does that have a subtle cue about the, the marketing or is it 
you know, are, are there other reasons uh, far more uh, pragmatic or prosaic um, involved in that decision? Yeah, I think it's more influenced by, um, and and that again, we're very small, so I wouldn't pretend the Australian beer company's got the uh, the, um, the the full insight on everything that's going on in the market. But with my, with my small little team and the research we did, actually, um, we were struck by the amount of consumers that said they were really frustrated having to get get out their bottle opener to open a craft beer. And so we went to the. So, so you were, this was something that you'd uh, made a conscious decision around uh, based on market research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I, I won't pretend to you that we spent you know uh, big money in doing market research. It was called um, uh, a fellow called Derek and a, a few brewers uh, that we tried to do our own research really. And okay. <laughs> so, what I suppose I'm trying to call out is more that you know we were just interested in why consumers were not buying craft and. Uh, and would you believe? And, I, and I'm not. I can't even tell you that it is it common across the whole demographic. But we actually found a lot of people saying it's just frustrating. You you buy craft beer and you have to go and find a bottle opener. You have to ask somebody who's got a bottle opener. And we so we just went with the twist offs because we said let's not have anything that creates a frustration around people being willing to buy beer and buy beer that they might be saying I'm already trying to I feel challenged in understanding what different styles of beer are and now you're asking me also to go through a, a kind of a just a frustrating aspect of having to pry off so um, I, I can't pretend that it's any more scientific than that mess uh, we just think twist offs are just kind of easy to um, access from a consumer perspective really you, you paint a picture, um, harking back to, to the very uh, beginning, where you, you, you talked about people could be a little bit, um, you know, uh, scared by all of the beer styles and feeling they don't have the knowledge to adequately purchase beer and uh, it, it, even some of these things. Has wine become, uh, sorry, has beer become too wineified very quickly? And you know, is that a problem that uh, you, you see your range is coming to terms with? Yeah, it's. it's a really, really interesting point. I think in the desire by people to really, I suppose, open, introduce craft beer or drive craft beer or try and celebrate the fact that you can have something different to standard lagers, there might be a factor that it also might have been, um, might have created a bit of an elitist thing or that it put people under pressure to be able to, to see who, who could actually carry the conversation, being able to describe beer or no beer or no beer styles and how much did you know about the brewery? And and sometimes maybe people might have felt, God, that's putting me under a bit of stress after a working day or a working week where I'm out with my mates and all of a sudden I'm under pressure to be able to really talk in a knowledgeable way about my beers. Or So I think what we're trying to achieve and what I was trying to kind of drive was to say, well, Actually, let's make it an enjoyable experience. And if we can help with a bit of education, and clearly we've gone with a certain level of education on our, on our packaging, um, let's make sure that it doesn't become elitist, and let's make sure that it doesn't become that you have to be seen as a beer connoisseur to be able to enjoy beer. So your point or your question and the way you phrased it, I think has has merit. And we're trying to say, let's demystify this thing. Let's actually celebrate the fact that you can have people who are really, really knowledgeable and really in-depth in their passion around beer, and that's great, and there's always going to be a place for them. And then there's a whole other percentage of population that would like to enjoy flavor and may not have the same capacity to go to the same depth of knowledge, but would like to have a certain level of knowledge so that they can feel they can enjoy it without being under pressure to uh, you know, be seen as the most educated beer uh, guru in the, in the world. 
Well, I guess you brought out a range that you, you've talked very much about um, category growth and educating consumers and getting it out there uh, and, and it's of growing the, the market for beer and making sure people feel comfortable drinking the beer. Do you have any other initiatives uh, around that beyond um, having labels that communicate you know, information simply and effectively? Um, do you have any initiatives in place to, to try and engage customers or, or educate the marketplace? Um, I wouldn't say that we've got any major initiatives that are going to be happening in the short term. I have millions of ideas as to over a few years how I think <laughs> I, can, uh, I can develop and grow this, and and I am very excited about and very connected around you know our name and being Australian beer company. I, I'm really looking to take a stronger hand in in how we can celebrate Australian um, produce and in purely the barley and the hops in a manner that we. Are small but limited today. We don't actually have the same hop varieties as you know in Australia today as we will in a few years because it takes a while to to uh, develop and grow them, as might exist in other countries and even New Zealand. Our, our next door neighbours might be an example of that. Um, but in the context of what we are doing in the short term, maybe if I can answer your question, I, I think there's an, an element of actually trying to encourage tastings and encourage trials. So we're trying to figure out manner uh, ways we can work with retailers to say. How about we can just encourage consumers to be willing to trial craft before they walk past that door, actually be willing to come in and trial it, or before they just walk in and pick up a carton of what they would normally drink, get them to try and, again, be open-minded towards what craft beer can be. And I think when people taste beer, and taste beer that's, that's enjoyable, but 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 not, uh, not so confronting that they're going, wow, I couldn't really drink more than one, I, we're hoping that we can have you know, yeah, educate people and, and make them positive towards us. Derek, you've been very generous with your time. I think we uh, probably should leave it there. As I said, we'll uh, be speaking to you, uh, I'm, I'm sure, more and more as the uh, that the years go by and we see how uh, Yender gets out there and develops. The, the, the big questions um, for, for now are where can people uh, track down Yender when they're not lucky enough to have some uh, samples sent to them? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I just have to give the, the qualification that obviously uh, I think we're approaching uh, three weeks of the Yenda package range being in market. So by no means could I pretend to you that we're available everywhere. But if I could draw people's attention to, we have a Facebook site called Yenda. So that's Y-E-N-D-A. So we have a Yenda Facebook site. And what we've started with is a stock finder. And on that stock finder, at least if you enter your suburb, um, uh, We'll uh, hopefully be in a position where you can see uh, a local outlet or on-premise or off-premise that you can access our beer. And quite simply, because we're trying every day and every week to uh, find our way into the market, that stock finder will evolve quite simply by the day and week. So if people can be patient with us and trust us, we're uh, working through the best we can to make our, our uh, beers available. But the Yenda stock finder on the Yenda Facebook is the cleanest, easiest way to do it. Derek O'Donnell, thank you very much for joining Radio Brews News. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it very much. In a garden, what a garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. (laughs) 
there you go, Prof. Um, long chat. Terribly nice fellow. The uh, you, you could listen to that accent all day. <laughs> yes. I guess they're, they're sitting in that space where it's different to the argument, you know, is Cooper's craft, for example, because Cooper's is, is very um, obviously and uh, proudly uh, a family-owned... You know, it's a it's a very well performing business. Whether you call it large, small, medium, you know, compare it to American breweries and all that sort of thing. Put all those questions aside. You can say, well, I consider it craft, or I don't consider it craft because of these reasons. But but it's got nothing to do with the the ownership or the you know the, the corporate model. The issue that always seems to come around when it's not a, a strictly family business is, does that then affect the beer? Does it uh, you know do I do I want to put my money there? That all those sorts of those sorts of issues, so it's it's an interesting take that you, you do. You look at the parent company and say, well, you know, it's it's Coca Cola. Gee, you know, and then I I have seen uh, on the interwebs that um, there's a bit of chatter around that you know should Coca Cola be emblazoned somewhere on the uh, the label as um, as the owners of the beer or the producers of the beer? Are they the producers of the beer? Are they producers of the beer in any way more or less than? Say Mitsubishi Electric producer, you know, is the parent company for another company, which is another company, which is another company that, in the end, makes Asahi. I, I don't know. Is it is it missing from the, you know, inverted commas, is the word Coca Cola missing from the label, or shouldn't it, you know, does it not need to be there? Yeah, and and you raise a couple of good points there. I mean, look, whenever you raise this with uh, people like Derek, it's always well, you know, that the market will decide what our beers are, and you know, for, for the vast majority of of the Australian beer drinking public, um, you know, it, it, it's how the beer tastes, how much it costs, those sorts of things, um, and you know, who makes it is probably a little bit of politics, not beer, um, and it's something that we as beer people get very passionate about, and think that everyone should, uh, you know, be just as passionate about, and you know, I look. My, my view is that the, the clearer that you make it, that a lot of these um, beers, you know, like whether it's Coles Steam Rail or uh, uh, Woolworth's uh, Sail and Anchor, um, Asahi's Cricketer's Arms Range, um, you know, they've got these cleverly crafted little um, labels or brands um, to hide the fact that it is a big parent company as we as consumers, even the ones that profess not to really care too much about the ownership, um, you know, it... We, we, we still like that that warm feeling that comes with supporting a small little business and you know that's always going to be there um but you know and it'll be interesting to see whether we get much criticism over the 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 way that that conversation developed because you know derek spoke you know a, a number of times about coca-cola amidal or cca um being in, in a joint venture um but in this case, it wasn't just, it's not just CCA owns Australian Beer Company owns, you know, has put out Yenda. It, it's, it's a partnership between, with, with Casella Wines. And I haven't heard in all of the discussion anyone saying, oh, well, Casella's name should be on the bottle um, when they're a 50-50 partner in the joint venture. So to me, that sort of shows that it, it, it's people are anti are we, Yeah, we're cherry-picking our, um, our disdain or, or where to direct our, uh, our displeasure. Exactly. And, and to me, um, that, that's even another example of, you know, we, we've talked at length in the past, uh, you know, that I think uh, Two Birds, for example, should, um, you know, Two Birds fully own their brewery by, or their, their brand. But I think 
they're less than forthcoming about where the beers are, are made. You know, in, in all of their social media presence these days talks about the nest and, you know, where the magic happens when you know, the, the, the greatest volume of their production is still contract brewed. Mountain Goat's the same. Um, you know, Mountain Goat's uh, bottled um, and canned beers, which is the, the vast majority of their range, comes from a brewery that's owned by Asahi um, that is the same brewery that makes cricketers arms and you think well you know as beer geeks you can't have it both ways you can't say it's okay for mountain goat not to label um but then asahi has to put on their label uh you know that they make the beer and not have some little side brand if you know it, it, it's all or none uh, my view is it should be all but you know it, it's a battle that i seem to have lost uh, with many in the craft beer community um you know, and it's been something I've taken up ever since the, the, the Byron Bay really showed what happens if, um, you know, if, if the small brewers don't take the lead with it, it, it lets the bigger brewers do it. So, yeah, look, I, I think Coca-Cola should probably be there, but Derek seemed pretty uh, forthcoming during the interview. But uh, listeners, let us know what you think. So I probably would have liked to have gone into a little bit more about, um, you know, as I've been digging. I, I did ask him about price and where Coke... Asahi, Yenda's brand, Asahi's Cricketers Arms, uh, Steamrail by Coles, Woolworths, um, Salonanka. All of their ranges are a little bit similar. Um, and then you've got James Squire being a little bit similar again. You know, when you've got five or six big players all going for a, you know, a, a big slice of the market, are we going to see, you know, prices come down? Um, subsequent to doing the interview, I heard what some of their, their, their prices are. And I, I would have loved to have uh, get confirmation from uh, Derek as to whether or not, you know, the, the prices of 150 to $200 a keg for some of these beers are, uh, are, are accurate or whether it's just a little bit of indus, in, industry um, chat. But I, I don't think price battles are, are good for the, the, the big brewers. And it's certainly really damaging for our small uh, craft brewers who have very high cost of production um, but provide a lot of the colour and interest and have developed it. So I would have loved to have talked a little bit about further um, with, with Derek about that. But uh, anyway, it, it's something that I'm sure we'll have some more chats in the future. And it's something that I'm sure that our listeners will have an opinion on. Absolutely. And please uh, do share it with us. Beer is, after all, a conversation. Pete, where can people have a conversation with you? Oh, look, you know, just find me in a pub, find me a beer. <laughs> how, how about this interwebs thing, social media, beer blokes? Yeah, on Twitter or Facebook. And we're Osbrews News on Twitter um, that we both uh, chat back and forth with. I'm Good Beer Matt on Twitter and Instagram, and you'll find us on Facebook. Listeners, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's been so quick since our last uh, podcast went out that we're recording this that so we haven't received any uh, viewer feedback or listener feedback. We're getting too, we're getting too regular. We are. We, we, people still don't know whether to trust us, whether to... Uh, put pen to paper and uh, email us because it may never see the light of day. So listeners, do share us, uh, share your thoughts with us. And uh, we are planning a couple of live podcasts very soon, so you'll be even able to phone in. Um, and I'll put the uh, call uh, link in the show notes now so you can phone and leave us, uh, leave us your thoughts uh, in writing, uh, or sorry, orally. Um, if you would like to. But anyway, um, next week, another podcast, another week, another podcast. But that's all for this week, folks. Uh, Pete, you got the band back there shooting up? Yeah, they are chomping at the bit, Matt. Ready to go. I don't, I don't actually know what they're going to play this week. We'll, we'll just have to see. Uh, Lockie's officially now the conductor. 
uh, of the band. Um, I just I just strike them up. I don't know why they they happen to be down here in Melbourne in my in my lounge room, but um, it's, it's it's the arts hub of Australia. So anyway, listeners, until next time, remember stay unlike our prime minister, stay classy. <laughs> yeah, drink responsibly and slowly. Save that. And we're out.